Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, your home for movie news, reviews, and movie fan views. The podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I'm your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined as always by my co-host, Rob Dunham. School's out for summer. <laughs> for movies. Yes, yes, we are getting to that time. We're in June now, people, and it's officially summer movie season if it wasn't already, but kind of Memorial Day is the weekend, is the kickoff to summer movie season, so now we are in it. We are in it big time. Uh, we got an excellent show for you. We're going to talk about, uh, of course, our box office update. We'll hit on uh, on some of the things with Top Gun Maverick. I'm going to quiz Rob on the top five opening weekend tom cruise box office films and we'll see what how he does on that uh we're gonna go back to our series on the best movies from 2012 by talking about dramas this time and of course our watch list all right rob ready to get started i am the box office results is where we're going to start today. And to the surprise of absolutely nobody, number one at the box office is Top Gun Maverick. Uh, it depends on exactly how you calculate it because this was a holiday weekend. If you just go by the official weekend days, the movie made 126.7. If you include Monday, which usually they do on Memorial Day releases, the film made over $150 million dollars. An excellent, excellent debut for Top Gun Maverick. In the second position is Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, uh, 16.1 million. The Bob's Burger movie uh, for had a strong showing for a, a, a more niche movie at 12.4 million to finish at number three. Downton Abbey, A New Era made 5.8 million in its second week in the box office. And rounding out the top five is The Bad Guys, which continues to perform well in its sixth week in the box office at $4.4 million. All right, Rob. Um, top Gun Maverick. Big, big showing. What do you make of it? <clears throat> uh, I'm, I'm surprised, I mm. think. Not that it's number one in the box office thing. That's always going to happen. But mm -hmm. to be like the best Memorial Day opening weekend ever. Mm -hmm. um, so movies are back. Yes, apparently. Yes, we finally say that. Um, mm -hmm. At least for now, you know, for a little while. Um, but our big question was: Would there be enough of a connection with a new audience for this to make mm -hmm. the amount of money that potentially it could make? And I think the answer to that has been a resounding yes. Yeah, and that's something that's very hard to gauge. Mm -hmm. Like. I know a lot of people our age were interested in going to see it because of and older than us because of the connection with the previous movie. Mm -hmm. so you knew about that interest, but it was really hard to gauge um, what a younger audience's interest in the movie was. But it seems to be pretty strong. And yeah. Tom Cruise's death has been greatly exaggerated. Yes, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, it's fascinating. The official numbers, uh, if you include the four-day weekend, there's 160.5 million, which makes it uh, the number one, as you said earlier, the number one Memorial Day release of all time, just topping Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which had $156 million. 
Um, if you just go with the three-day weekend total, it uh, it didn't quite pass uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. It was did a little under a million less or a little over a million less in the three-day weekend. But if you include four days, then it's number one of all time. Uh, what's interesting about this is um, there's a couple of, of interesting factors for me. One is this is the number one box office opening for Tom Cruise of all time. And the man turns 60 like tomorrow. <laughs> and I, I did not realize this would be his number one opening. And it's not, I mean, it's by a wide margin too, that it's his number one opening weekend of all time. Um, I just, I just didn't have a sense of that. And uh, yeah, uh, I've, I was a little surprised by how well it did. Uh, but we can talk more about the movie itself in that front is, but uh, what, what do you make of it in terms of, you talked about it a little bit in terms of what this says about the box office going forward this summer. Yeah, I think it is an indication that people are um, more and more people are coming out to the movies. In fact, I've talked to a few people who said that this was the movie that would bring them back mm -hmm. or was bringing them back like their first movie since they stopped going to the movies. Yeah. And I had a conversation with someone who said they saw this movie and they saw that there's a new Jurassic World movie coming out. Um, and that made them want to go see that. Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing that maybe we underestimate, because I, I thought about that comment for a little bit, and I think something that you and I and people who are really into movies like on the Pulse of Movies might underestimate is that people who casually go to the movies sometimes don't know what movies are coming out until they actually physically see trailers for movies. Yeah. Because not everyone is like all about following all the news. Yeah. So the fact that um, something like that might be showing before this movie might drive more people to see Jurassic World too, mm -hmm. you know, and other movies that are coming out that they find interesting. Yeah. I think... I think my comments on this in terms of the box office is I think we're getting the sense of big tentpole movies are going to do well in the modern box office. They are like people are going to come out to the theaters to see the big blockbuster movies. Um, I think we've gauged that from from Spider-Man to Batman uh, to Marvel movies uh, to, to Top Gun. Now people are going to come out and see that. What, what we may not be quite seeing yet is people coming back for the smaller movies yet. That's, I think, the next phase of the box office coming back. But I think what this says, the demise of the box office has been greatly overstated. Um, this, uh, this, there's an article we'll link to uh, from Deadline that talks about uh, the validation of, of them holding on to this property and making sure it got released entirely in the box office and not being seduced by by the streaming like so many of the other networks have and uh, and we've talked about that balance between streaming versus box office but i think we can say the demise of the box office has been greatly overstated yeah um 
Yeah, it will be interesting. It will be interesting to see what we make of this. Uh, one thing I was thinking about, and I wrote a, if you go to filmforfans.com, I wrote a long uh, review of Top Gun Maverick uh, that's up on the website now. Uh, but one of the things that I was thinking about, and maybe you can help me out with this, has there been another well-done movie about fighter pilots set in the modern era since Top Gun, the original? I could not. Yeah. I couldn't think of one. And that, to me, that's mind-blowing because nowadays... A, a movie of a specific genre succeeds and it spawns like eight movies of a, along similar lines. How did that not happen with Top Gun? Yeah, I think the, the only, the only things that I can think might even be in consideration would be like behind enemy lines mm. um, with, with Owen Wilson, which is not like a great movie, but it was a decent movie in that kind of uh, genre, if you want. And uh, obviously Independence Day. The original one, you know, if you want to count them as fighter pilots, I mean, they are fighter pilots and then they fly alien ships. Yeah. So that probably doesn't qualify. <laughs> Not really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, interestingly enough, one of my five top dramas of 2012 involves a pilot, um, but it's not a fighter pilot. So that doesn't yeah. qualify either. Yeah. I mean, like you had some pretty decent stuff in like, Dunkirk or even in Midway recently, but those are all World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, was th- I was just thinking about that and I'm like, it's really fascinating. Uh, all right, well, let's move on from that. Uh, upcoming this week, we have two entrances into the box office. And uh, the first one is Crimes of the Future. And this is uh, starring Vigo Mortensen, Leia Seydoux, Kristen Stewart, Don McKellar. And it is humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner, Caprice, Saul Tenser, uh, celebrity performance artist, publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in avant-garde performances. So this is kind of like a, like a drama horror sci-fi crossover. Um, it's kind of hard to... Uh, to gauge exactly where, where this one's going to land, uh, directed by Dave Cronenberg. <clears throat> so that's the first one. And the second one on the list is Watcher. And this stars uh, Micah Moore, Carl Golson, and Bern Gorman. And this is, as a serial killer stalks city, Julia, a young actress who's moved to town with her boyfriend notice a mysterious stranger watching her from across the street and this is a horror thriller uh so rob what do you make of the entrance this week into the box office um so out of the two i am most interested in crimes of the future Mm -hmm. and um david cronenberg if you're looking for a tone i think you're he's usually really good at making things that are like real raw and visceral and grounded and real. So I think even with like a sci-fi type movie, you'll probably get the same kind of feeling. Um, Some of the movies he's done before, Dangerous Method, A History of Violence, Eastern Mm -hmm. Promises, Eastern Promises starring Viggo Mortensen. Um, Big in the Viggo Mortensen camp. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Um, so I expect it to be a really well done movie. It's definitely one I'm interested in going to see. Mm -hmm. um, so hopefully I'll have some time to head to the theater and check it out. Yeah, I would agree. I think this one has the most potential intrigue. Um, there's always that weird balance sometimes between the sci-fi and horror as to whether or not it's going to air a little bit more on the horror or a little bit more on the sci-fi end. Uh, sometimes it happens even within the same film. Um, so the, where it falls on that side of the balance will probably determine whether or not I am, uh, I'm, I will really like it or not. And, but yeah, yeah, that'd be the one that I'm most intrigued with at this point. Uh, but it is going to be a, I doubt that either of these films will pull much weight, uh, given the fact that there will still be a lot of people who have not seen uh, Top Gun Maverick and I fully expect Top Gun Maverick to kill it at the box office again this coming weekend. Yeah, I'm very interested to see the what the percentage drop is uh, for Top Gun Maverick from the opening weekend through the second week. Yeah, I'm guessing it's not going to be that. I mean, it's, it's going to be a drop off, but I'm guessing it's not going to be a super dramatic. Um, which was the film we were talking about recently that did not have a huge drop off from week one to week two? There was one that we were talking about in a previous podcast. It was one of the big ones. I just can't remember which one. Yeah, I can't remember off the top of my head either. Yeah. All right. I'll have to look that up because I want to see and compare uh, the drop off uh, of this one to the, uh, some of the other big ones we've seen and, and see what word of mouth does for it. Okay. That's the box office. And now we move on to our discussion section and our first discussion, uh, given Tom Cruise's massive success at the box office and uh, my uh, real surprise that he had never had a film break a hundred million on the opening weekend. Uh, I thought I would, I would do some research and I would give Rob a little game to play. Uh, what this is going to look like is Rob has to guess the top grossing opening weekend move Tom Cruise movies. Uh, we're going to do top five. So can he guess the top five? And then can he put them in correct, accurate order? Now, this is not based on their full run at the box office, but just on their opening weekend. Uh, so that's 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 the task at hand, Rob, if you are uh, up for the let's, challenge. Let's see how many guesses it takes me to get the top five. <laughs> uh, one caveat to this. Uh, I had to use multiple databases to gather this info because I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it quickly and easily because part of it's behind a paywall on the site I normally use. Uh, so I had to basically look up his top grossing movies and then separately look up their opening weekend. So is it possible that one of the movies was not on one of the lists, but is on the other one? Maybe, but I don't think so. Uh, so that's what we got. Okay. So uh, Top Gun Maverick is on the list. Um other than Top Gun Maverick, because we know that was number one. But the top five outside of Top Gun Maverick, okay. yeah, we're not giving you a free spot. Uh, okay. Is Minority Report one of the top five? Minority Report is not one of the top five. Oh, good start. Um, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol is not one of the top five. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Yes. 
Okay. Uh, Mission Impossible 3. Mission Impossible 3 is in the top five. Uh, Oblivion. Oblivion is not in the top five. Uh, Are either of the first two Mission Impossibles in the top five? One of the first two is in the top five. Uh, Mission Impossible 2? Correct. Okay. Top five. So we have three Mission Impossibles so far. (laughs) Rogue Nation 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, Minority Report was not. So, what other movies am I not remembering? Oh, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible Man. He'll always be Ethan Hunt to me. <laughs> um, uh, I, Vanilla Sky is not one of the top five, is it? It is not. Okay. Uh. Edge of Tomorrow? Um, no. Okay. Not in top. All right. I, don't, I don't know what the last two are. What the last two? <laughs> uh, you missed one of the other Mission Impossible movies. Okay. Fallout. Okay. Uh, that That's uh, one of the last two. And the final one in the top five is... Uh, War of the Worlds. Oh, okay. Well, the fact that four of his previous top five grossing movies were Mission Impossible movies kind of, you know, lends uh, some weight to the fact that I thought of him as Mission Impossible Man. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Um, Okay, so in order, I'm going to say number five. Mission Impossible 2. Number 4. Hang on. I'm going to make the note of this here. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. No, number 4. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Number 3. War of the Worlds. Number 2. Mission Impossible 3. And number 1. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. They're probably all wrong. <laughs> And you had Rogue Nation number one? Yes. Okay. All right. The order from number five to number one goes as follows. Mission Impossible 3 is number five. It did 47.7 million on opening weekend. Hmm. Number four was Rogue Nation. It did 55.5 million on its opening weekend. Number three is Mission Impossible 2 at 57.8 million. Number two is Mission Impossible Fallout at 61.2 million. And number one, who knew? War of the Worlds. War of the Worlds at 64.8 million. That kind of blows me away. So, so this movie, new movie beat that by almost $100 million. Yeah. Like, that's that shocks insane. me. Yeah. 
that really, I mean, it does. It shocks me that his top opening weekend was $64 million and it was War of the Worlds of all movies. I'm I very thought the Mission Impossible would have done better than that. Do you know what Minority Report made the opening weekend? Did you get that number? So I'm very interested in that number. I can look it up here. Give me one second here. I have, I think I still have the page up that we were looking at. All right. I'm the close enough. Okay. Um, yeah, here we go. All right. So minority report. Opening we ended 35.6. It's, it's, uh, I think part of this too is you're seeing the evolution of the box office because I think a movie like Minority Report now would make way more money its opening weekend than that. I, I also think that one came out within a week or two of the Bourne movie. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. So if I'm remembering correctly, they were in the box office at the same time in 2002. Uh, so I think maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just fascinated by that. Uh, some of these, how, where some of these came down. Like um, some of the ones that were not on the list, uh, Ghost Protocol. Ghost Protocol, this one has a crazy pro profile. Um, you know how much it made on its opening weekend? I don't. 12.7 million. Wow. 12.7 million. This is a movie that did 209 million domestically, 694 million worldwide. It did 12.7 on its opening weekend. That's crazy. I, I Like what happened that opening weekend? I have no idea. Yeah, usually if a movie opens with 12.7, it disappears. <laughs> yeah, it does not get to 200 million. It's, I, I need to go back and do more research on this because I saw that and I'm like blown away because that was yeah. a great movie. Yeah. Um, do you know, uh, speaking of this, another one on the list was, uh, was The Mummy. It did 31.6 million. It did 400 million. Uh, all told wow and like nobody in this country saw it <laughs> yeah <laughs> it did 80 million domestically and 329 internationally yeah and if you still ask people about the movie the mummy 95 percent of people would be thinking you're talking about the Ren and fraser movie yeah and it's, and it's just like it it just is gone from the consciousness but, like the mummy was so bad the new one with tom cruise was so poorly received it was supposed to start an entire universe of movies. And after it came out and did what it did, they were like, nope, we're not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And even that one did significantly better than Ghost Protocol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was supposed so. to kick off a whole like classic monster thing with like Frankenstein and um, a couple other well-known monsters. And mm. it just flopped so badly that they decided against it. In fact, if you watch the, I believe if you're watching the the credits of that movie, the opening credits. There's um, there's something in the studio name that's like a reference to the fact that it is going to be part of like a new series of movies, mm -hmm. which is really interesting because that series never happened. Yeah. 
Uh, but what's fascinating about looking at, at Tom Cruise box office numbers is that all of his movies, almost all of his movies did significantly well. Um, they all, they all well over budget and produced well at the box office. It's just interesting that not a lot of them had monster opening weekends, uh, which is really surprising considering the mission impossible movies are some of the best action franchises going. Uh, so I'm, I am definitely surprised that it, to see where the opening weekend numbers were for that, but they all did very, very well. So that probably has something to say about the staying power of the movies he creates. And he actually has a lot of say over the content of the movies uh, that he works on now. Mm -hmm. So uh, it is more than just simply him as an actor, but him as a creative director too. All right. You got anything else on that? I don't. Tom is okay. just cruising along. Uh-huh. There we go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Had to get one in there. <laughs> All right. So uh, top five dramas from 2012. We're doing this series where uh, we're revisiting the best movies from 10 years ago. Uh, check out our previous episode where we talked about sci-fi and action movies. And today we're tackling dramas. Uh so Rob, let's uh, let's let's go back and forth here. Give me uh, we'll we'll do two and two, and then we'll we'll save our, our last one. Well, let's do honorable mentions first. If you got any of those, I do have two honorable mentions. Okay, what do you got? Um, safety not guaranteed. Mm. Also, to fit into the sci-fi category, but it was way down that list, and I, it was way down this list. But I, I scrolled a little farther with this list. Um, about uh, so a guy, the guy who decides he wants to build a time machine, hmm. and is looking for someone to join him in his travels, and it is a heartwarming, touching, funny movie. Um, hmm. Highly recommend it. Safety not guaranteed. And then my other honorable mention is Josh Josh Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, hmm. which is my favorite version of the story, and I think they do a really fantastic job of utilizing the original dialogue but framing it in such a way that it's easy to follow and understand what's happening and it's in black and white and i just think it's a really well shot well acted movie so i would recommend that as well yeah i, I had forgotten about that one yeah that was quite good that was a well done yeah my honorable mentions i have two also uh one for me would be the words uh this is a bradley cooper zoe saldana movie it's basically uh, it's a story within a story within a story. Um, I think they probably could have dropped the outer story on this one, but it's basically the story about a guy who's a struggling novelist who finds, who, who buys a briefcase, his girlfriend or wife buys him a briefcase and it contains a manuscript in it. And the manuscript is fantastic. And then he decides to pass it off as his own and becomes a wildly famous author as a result of this script that he didn't write. Uh, but it's a really fascinating story about how, about um, what transpires and, and how that eats away with you when you're living a lie. Uh, good movie. Uh, the second honorable mention is The Life of Pi. And this was an Ang Lee-directed, highly visual adaptation of the uh, popular novel. Um, there's a lot to that movie. <laughs> there's a lot to it. Uh, but because of the, the nature, there's 
it's it's a deep story it's it's kind of an emotionally weighty story but the visuals are really spectacular in the way that ang lee is very famous for all right rob give me your uh give me your five through through five through give me your five and four we'll do that all right so um there are actually two on my list that were on previous lists okay. <laughs> um number five is the movie flight mm. with denzel washington about um, an alcoholic commercial airline pilot mm -hmm. um it's a really excellent character study on a person struggling to overcome their demons struggling to understand something that has happened to them something they've been a part of and i think it's one of his uh best truly dramatic roles um there's, this is not Denzel Washington action star. It's a man who is like really uh, introspective and trying to figure out what's going on uh, within himself. Number four, and uh, this tells you how much I love this movie. Number four on the drama list for me is Cloud Atlas, which is number one. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you're doing here. I see it. Uh -huh. um, this movie is to me. This movie is everything. So it, it just it belongs. It wouldn't make the comedy list, but for drama and and sci-fi, it has to make Bloods for Wolf for me. Um, so I have that at number four. Okay. Uh, number five for me uh, is The Help, and this was the. It was also based on a book, and this was the story about uh, black maids in in the South. And, and kind of the struggle they went through during um, the civil rights era. And it is, it is a powerful story. It's, it's very well done. Um, and it's basically uh, Emma Stone is writing a book about these maids and, and everything they go through and what it was like uh, during that particular time. Um, and it's an excellent drama piece. The characters are great. They're well acted. It's uh, it's a really interesting story. So number five for me was the help. Uh, number four, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Of course, this is a, a Wes Anderson story. And this is one of my favorite Wes Anderson stories. I think it's just really, it's interesting it's funny. It's more easily accessible, I think, than some of his other ones. Uh, it's a good introduction to the way he tells stories. If you're, if you're, if it's just very odd for you, um, but it's uh, it's basically the story about uh, a two young kids who kind of run away in a New England town, and and kind of the the circumstances of that. But again, it's just classic Wes Anderson with the symmetry and the dialogue and the interesting uh, period piece take to it. Uh, really interesting. And, and it's got a lot of humor into it. So it could, it could be on the comedy list too, if we wanted to go that direction. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how you said that because maybe because it doesn't have like all the super hyper complexity of normal mm -hmm. Wes Anderson. It's one of my least favorite Wes Anderson movies. Interesting, yeah, interesting. Uh, I don't know, but I'm like a Wes Anderson nerd, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah um the three and two yep. what I should How about all right number three for me is the silver linings playbook okay. cooper mm -hmm. um just uh this won the best picture award correct it definitely um, i think i think she won i think jennifer lawrence won it won something big I don't i'm looking it up it right now 
uh, let's see, awards. Uh, yeah, won best uh, performance by actress in a leading role. Yeah. It was nominated yeah. for best picture yeah. and Bradley Cooper was nominated for best actor. Yeah. And also the supporting roles were both nominated too. And, and the director was nominated, but it only won yeah, when, for Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, when all those things are nominated, you know you made a good movie. <laughs> yes. And I think that it is uh, just a really well done, realistic take on um, a couple families and their connection and the connection between uh, Bradley Cooper's character and Jennifer Lawrence's character is great. And if you're a fan of the Eagles, it's like, uh you know extra happy for you <laughs> which i am <laughs> yeah, there's a whole like uh subplot of the movie is the love for the eagles so mm-hmm. uh, it's uh it's really interesting um to watch that play out on the screen uh number two for me is when your honorable mentions life pie um like you said it emotionally weighty visual uh visually artistic obviously those two things make it like right in my wheelhouse so Life of Pi is very high up. So I have it number two on my list. Um, before we get into this, and I will say uh, kind of spoiler alert here. Uh, I won't get into the depth of it, but I want to ask you a question about this movie. And frankly, it was 10 years ago. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what do you make of the ending to the story? Do you like it? Do you not like it? How? like how how did the ending make you feel it's hard to go on a journey like this movie's a journey Mm -hmm. like maybe more than most like hard more than mostly any movie out there yeah and so i think when you come to the end of a journey like here i look at like reading a good book or or playing a really good game like when it ends you know mm-hmm. it's it's hard it's, it's hard to find a satisfying conclusion yeah a lot of the time so i think there's always something wanting i mean that's us being selfish and wanting it to end like a certain way to make us feel good but i like that all movies don't end that way yeah you know so mm-hmm. i didn't have an issue with it but i understand why it would be hard for people some people to deal with yeah i think i don't think it was a cheap literary trick but i do think the it hurts the payoff for the journey you went on Mm. yeah so yeah i've always been a little bit torn about it and therefore slightly ambivalent about the film itself. And like you said, if you haven't seen it, you should see it, mate, draw your own conclusion. Yeah. All right. Uh, You get both yours, right? Yep. Okay. Uh, So number three for me is uh, Cloud Atlas. Uh, This is, I did not have it on sci-fi, even though it could have been, I landed it firmly in drama. Uh, And everything you were saying, the the various storylines, the intricate nature of it, um, the acting performances, it's just an interesting film. It's, there's just a lot there. It was really interesting film. And like every one of those like ensemble cast films, there's some storylines you like better than others or some you relate to more than others. Um, 
I think one of my favorites is the guys trying to break out of the old folks home. <laughs> I, I just enjoy I enjoy that sort I enjoy that storyline. That one's kind of fun. Uh, also, you get to see uh, Hugo Weaving dressed up as a giant butch nurse, which is hilarious. It, that is that is something. <laughs> 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 that is something, and uh, and the the I don't know how to characterize it. The Tom Hanks Halle Berry mm-hmm. uh, corporate storyline. I, I mm-hmm. really I kind of enjoyed that one too. Uh, but yeah, lots, lots of interesting, lots of meat there and interesting aspects to that film. Uh, number two, for me, I included it in this is The Dark Knight Rises. Um, this could have been an action, uh, but I decided to include it in drama because I think it fits better in drama because this is more about the fallout of what happens with Bane and what happens as a result of, of essentially the lie they tell at the end of The Dark Knight. And it kind of, this is the world that has been created as a result of that and the consequences of, of that um, decisions and those decisions as they were made and the consequences of being Batman. And I think that best fits in drama. This was not the best of the three films. And there was a lot tied up into this. Um, I think most notably it took Christopher Nolan a little bit to get over the death of uh uh, Heath Ledger, and I think he lost a little bit of steam as a result of that. Uh, but it's still a very good movie. Yeah, I would say that um, the only reason why it wasn't in my top five horrible mentions is, like you said, it's not The Dark Knight. It's not. You know, and that movie is just such a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, uh, honestly, I don't think no, no matter what he did, it wasn't going to live up to the Dark Knight. No. So it's it's just it it will always have a little bit of a you know a little bit of a sting mm-hmm. for me there. Um, and so my number one is actually one that was on your action list because, like you said, the Dark Knight Rises to you is more of a drama than an action movie. Mm-hmm. I feel like Argo is more of a drama movie than an action movie. I can totally see that. Um, because I think a lot of it is the behind the scenes, mm-hmm. uh, setting up the playbook and running through it, and then there is some mm-hmm. action interspersed in it. But I think, um, the main drive, the main focus, the main um, success of the movie, the achievement of the movie is displaying this story about these people who are going through a real struggle and trying to figure out, you know, the best way to do it. So there's a lot of background to it. It's not just people shooting at each other and running around. As to me, it's more tense and more intricate. So I put it on the drama list, and to me, it was the best uh, of that genre for the year. Yeah, it was an excellent movie. There's no doubt about it. Did I ever tell you that I actually saw the actual Argo script? No. After it was declassified, it ended up in a spy museum. There was a copy of it in the spy museum and I got to see the, I went to the spy museum and I saw, I saw the actual Argo script, which is pretty cool. That's very cool. I mean, it's, it's such an American way to do something. Hey, let's, let's Mm -hmm. fake go create a movie to get hostages out and like go on all this setting up, doing readings, setting up a production company. Uh, It's, it's perfect. It's great. Yeah. I love that movie. Uh, And number one for me was Lincoln. 
Um, it's Daniel Day Lewis is is a generational actor. Um, almost every time he does a role, he wins best uh, actor <laughs> just because he puts that much in it. And he really brought Lincoln to life. He really, really brought Lincoln to life. And I lo- what I love about it is it brought you smack dab into the difficulty of trying to pass a 13th Amendment, like all the different nuances that were that were at play, all the different uh, political drama that you had to go through and how he was trying to manage a war manage this and how they at times the two were conflicting with each other but it really just it gets you into the character of who lincoln was and i i love i love that aspect and it's just such a good movie yeah daniel day lewis is just he disappears mm-hmm. into his roles um it's just phenomenal like i i can't think of anyone else playing that role and certainly um well deserving of being on the list but i i think one thing i like about doing these lists is that you know it just proves that in any given year there's quality movies in every genre yeah yeah now if we start going later we're gonna have a harder time coming up with good comedies but <laughs> that's a whole nother, that's, that's a whole nother point uh but yeah so that's uh that's what we got from uh, from 2012 and, and the drama section. So let's move on to our watch list. Movies we watched over the past week. Rob, did you watch anything? I did. I watched a couple. I watched, um, for the first time, The Accountant with uh, Ben Affleck. Oh, and, I love that movie. Um, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. If you have that, I would recommend yeah. checking it out. Ben Affleck plays uh, an accountant who's also kind of sort of hitman. Yeah. <laughs> and uh it's it's really cool john bernthal is also in this movie as the um opposing assassin guy um uh the punisher um and he was also in the walking dead mm-hmm. uh, as the character shane in the walking dead if you watch that i kind of saw uh i'm not going to give it away but i kind of saw what was you know gonna happen there mm-hmm. pretty early <laughs> into it it seemed kind of obvious um but it was it was still a pretty well done movie and i think uh ben affleck did a really superb job acting in this and probably one of the better acting performances i've seen mm-hmm. from him um and i also watched the pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl oh okay the caribbean movie um amidst all the trialing with johnny depp <laughs> who won today by the way as yes. he should. i think what 15 um, million dollar yeah, reward yeah, for johnny yeah, depp on that yeah. one um this uh performance is just hilarious and perfect and i can't think of anyone else pulling it off quite the way he did mm-hmm. and really um the fact that they achieved so much out of the series starting with this one making movies based on a theme park ride yes (laughs) it's pretty amazing and i think that it needed that character in that role uh for that to happen Mm -hmm. Um, even though some of the movies aren't based entirely around him i don't think any of the other movies would have happened without him correct Um, and i think that uh also um the character of uh william turner is also quite a good character and uh elizabeth swan also and she gains some more 
um, notoriety and, you know, um, effect on the series as it goes on. But I thought that 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 whole movie is a great movie, well-deserving of being a major box office movie, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for me, two movies. Uh, I saw Top Gun Maverick. Uh, we'll save our uh, our deep analysis of the movie until Rob uh, Rob gets a chance to see it. But if you are interested in my direct thoughts on everything I thought about the movie, go to filmforfans.com. My full review of the movie is up there. Uh, but suffice to say, I really enjoyed this movie. Uh, it was better than I thought. I think the the thing that it did so well is it used the nostalgia as a template. It did not rely on it. And it's very tough to balance um, that sort of nostalgia property with trying to create something new and original and very few filmmakers get it right. And I think he did. Um, And it's no small part. I think this is something that we can now say John Kaczynski has a, has a talent for because he's now done it twice. He's only directed like four or five films and he's done it twice uh, with Tron legacy in his directorial debut. I think he did a fantastic job in that one of using and taking a classic film and making something new and original. And he did the same thing here uh, with Top Gun Maverick. So highly recommend you see it. Uh, The second one I've watched uh, was The Count of Monte Cristo uh, with Jim Caviezel and um, I'm blanking on the other guy's name now. Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Thank you. Yes, Guy Pierce. Uh, Love this film. Love this film. It's really, really good. Um, the story of the Count of Monte Cristo is fantastic, but the way they told it in this one, um, he just does such a great job of playing that innocent turned vengeful, calculating, uh, force that is the Count of Monte Cristo, uh, Richard Harris, uh, one of his last roles before he died also played, uh, and many other films, but including uh, Dumbledore in the first two Harry Potter films. Uh, but he is excellent in this as the priest who who trains him in prison. Uh, but it's a it's a classic story. It's a classic story about revenge and how um, while you may be justified and and understandable in your desire for revenge, that it does nothing but eat you and destroy your relationships is basically the point of this film. And it's, it's very well done. Yeah. That's a movie that I really like too. I think one of the best adaptations of a classic novel in the modern era. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, Rob, you got anything else? I do not. All right. Well, that is the episode. Thanks for tuning in to Film for Fans. Make sure you visit filmforfans.com where you can get my review of Top Gun Maverick along with lots of other content. And uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Share it, like it, comment on it, do all that good stuff. Until next time, enjoy the movies.